0: What's up guys and welcome to Warrior Life Podcast number 389. I am your host Buck Green, in for Jeff Anderson this week, and today I want to talk about some bad habits that are causing you to break your survival gear. We've all done it, And there's a few things that I'd like to highlight specifically that you should avoid doing, which will help your gear to last longer, no matter what it is. Guns, knives, multi-tools, whatever you rely on for survival. Uh, As someone who owns a lot of gear and who has broken a lot of gear, this is a topic near and dear to me. So, are you ready? Then let's talk bad habits that break your survival gear. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right, we're back. This is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Uh, Let's talk about uh, bad habits. We've all been there where you're doing something, let's say with a knife, and you're you're, you're pushing and there's more resistance and there's more resistance and then suddenly there's no resistance because the knife has just broken. Or the multi-tool has just broken. Or the screwdriver in your Swiss Army knife is bent in a, in a nice little left-hand shape. Or, you know, let's say the even worse feeling of when you have a gun and you're, say, shooting at the range and suddenly something goes click or crunch when it should go bang or worse it goes really bang and suddenly your hand hurts there's so many ways that gear can go wrong i've often had a love-hate relationship with anything that has moving parts i just i get so angry when technology doesn't work as it should and even the simplest piece of technology like a, a knife or not a gun because that's a complex piece of technology but even something simple like a fixed blade knife with no moving parts even those can fail there are countless ways that we break our gear countless dumb things we do sometimes it's not even our fault sometimes something breaks because there's something wrong with that item um one of my one of my favorite stories uh when i was a a young man i remember i was upstairs And there was a vent in the floor that led to a hallway outside my parents' bedroom. It was a a way for heat to get from that part of the house to the upstairs part of the house. And, of course, as a result, you could hear anything that went on down below. You could look right down through it, which, as a young man, I found fascinating. Um, I was watching a movie in my room, and I heard bang. And I thought to myself, that can't possibly have been a gunshot. And then the smoke detector downstairs started going off. So I went downstairs and I found my father sitting on the edge of the bed, looking stunned, holding in his hand a pistol called the Grendel P10, which was a 380 caliber pocket pistol that had an internal magazine. You loaded it from the top like you would uh, something that uses stripper clips. And uh, apparently he'd been following the instructions, loading his gun, and the instructions said something like, Now release this. At no time does the forward motion of the slide have enough momentum to boom. The bullet went off, uh, went through the top of a glass jar sitting on top of his dresser, causing there to be pebbles of glass everywhere, and into the wall. There it stayed, thank goodness. On the other side of that wall was a bathroom, and on the other side of that wall was my little brother's room. So my father was uh, pretty shaken up, and we found out the reason the gun went off was not because he did anything wrong. It's because that gun was defective from the manufacturer. Uh, he, he racked the slide and the gun fired, even though his finger was nowhere near the trigger. Um, I had, when I was in my early 20s, I bought a, a little twenty-two caliber Davis Derringer, and that thing worked for about three shots, and then it stopped working. You couldn't get it to fire, and it wasn't anything I did. It was just a cheap and therefore defective little gun. We sent it back to the factory, and that was that. I didn't want another. I didn't want it repaired. So sometimes you can't help the fact that things are broken. There are defects. You know, sometimes, and we've had, you know, Anytime you manufacture anything, there is the chance that there can be an out-of-box quality failure. We call that an OBQ in the industrial and manufacturing sectors. Uh, Anyone can experience an OBQ, and it's through no fault of your own. So rather than worry about that because, uh, you know, there's not a lot you can do, but we'll come to that. I have a point to make about that. We want to focus on habits we can change that help prevent us from breaking our gear, help us from damaging or destroying the things that we rely on to accomplish anything from utility chores to saving your own life if this piece of equipment is, let's say, something that's in a survival kit. so. The very first thing I thought of when I thought of bad habits that break your survival gear is the thing that everybody seems to go to when it comes to testing survival knives or even fighting knives sometimes, and that is gross abuse of knives. And I'm talking about specifically batoning and, to a lesser extent, prying. Most people know you shouldn't pry with a knife, although you'd never know that from the number of sharpened pry bars on the market. But everybody who uh, evaluates a survival knife seems to start out by batoning the dumb thing. I realize that you want a knife that can do that. I realize that it's better to have a knife that can do that in the field than one that doesn't. But batoning is gross abuse of a knife. It always will be. If you have a knife that will withstand gross abuse, great. But understand that the knife is in no way meant to perform like that. When you baton a knife, you are Horribly abusing that knife, and if it stands up to the abuse, fantastic. But just because it did today doesn't mean it won't fail in the future when you use it like that. To me, batoning is something you do in an emergency when you don't have a, a choice. Otherwise, you should be using a small hatchet to to do what batoning can do. Um, prying with a knife, also yes, if you have a knife that can withstand that, great. But you know you're going to you you risk breaking off the tip of the knife at least. Most people should know that these are not how knives are meant to be used. Knives are meant to be used as knives. Otherwise, some other tool is in order. And yes, in an emergency situation, especially in a survival situation, you may be forced to abuse your tools in order to accomplish what you need to accomplish. But understand that you're taking a risk. Understand that you're risking Damage to that tool, and you have to weigh does the risk outweigh the benefit, or vice versa? Do I dare take this risk? And if I were to break my tool, does that put me in a worse position in the future? Okay, so that's number one batoning and prying with knives. I would consider that a bad habit that breaks gear, and you should avoid it. Number two, I would call getting by with the wrong tool, and I'm very guilty of this myself. I carry a multi-tool with me most of the time. I carry a Swiss Army knife all the time in my pocket. Because these are light duty, multiple tool implements, it's very tempting to use them for things that are out of their weight class, so to speak. I can't tell you how many Swiss Army knife screwdrivers I have bent because I pried with them, and yeah, a screwdriver is meant for a little bit of prying. You know, the, When you go to open a paint can, what do you go for? You go for a flathead screwdriver to pry open the paint can. But Swiss Army knives are simply not that strong when it comes to that type of, of force. So you have to remember, this is a light-duty tool. Likewise, the, the needle-nose pliers on a Leatherman multi-tool. Leathermans are great tools. Um, there are other multi-tools on the market. Uh, Jeff has, if I remember correctly, it's a SOG multi-tool that he's very fond of but the thing is those pliers are not as strong as a regular pair of pliers or you know a pair of channel locks or anything else that's in you know sitting above your workbench in your wherever you keep your tools Uh, you you cannot treat a multi-tool the way you can a regular pair of pliers it simply will not withstand the type of force that those larger tools are capable of withstanding so Do not use a small multiple tool implement outside its weight class, or you're gonna break it. And then you will, like me, end up having to constantly replace your Swiss Army knives. The last time I replaced my Swiss Army knife was specifically because I bent one of the screwdrivers. So keep that in mind when you're carrying uh, any kind of multi-tool or pocket knife or anything like that. These things all have a weight class. Just like you wouldn't put a 180 pound guy up against a 300 pound guy if you could help it. Yeah, you you wanna make sure you're not fighting your tools out of their weight class number three goes for just about anything including firearms and i would call that getting lazy with maintenance do you clean your guns every time you shoot them if you don't What you're doing is leaving residue inside the gun that can eventually cause damage to the gun. Uh, Sometimes, it depends on the ammo you're using, you've probably heard of corrosive ammo. That's ammo that's gonna leave a corrosive residue inside your gun. That's why your average AK has, if I remember correctly, uh, like some of them will have chrome barrels because of the corrosive nasty ammo that was fed through them. Um, You want to have a healthy amount of respect for the gunk that builds up in a firearm when you don't clean it you want to clean that gun even if you don't do it every single day or every single time you shoot rather then make sure you get around to doing it pretty soon thereafter i mean yeah if you've you've got things to do that day you went shooting i don't have time to clean my gun fine but come back to it tomorrow don't just leave it um there are plenty of guns out there that can withstand not being cleaned i know right now there are guys who own AKs who've never cleaned them ever in the life of the gun and the gun works just fine. I'm not saying that's not the case. Um, the Walther P38, there's a story attached to that gun. The Walther P38 was the double action 9mm pistol that was kind of the forerunner to the modern double action high capacity 9mm and those guns were meant to replace the Luger because the Luger while an attractive weapon was extremely complicated Uh, the Luger uses a toggle action, and so when the Walther P-38 came along to replace the Luger, one of the things that happened was when the German troops fought in Russia in the extreme cold, the lubricant they were using in their pistols was actually freezing up. What they had to do was reassemble the pistols without lubrication, and to the Walther's credit, it kept right on working, even without oil in it. Um, That's great and all, but no one would deny that that's bad for a gun. So if you're not cleaning, if you're not maintaining, if you're not lubricating your your tools, you are running the risk that eventually they will be damaged. This is sort of a a longer term thing. It's like not brushing your teeth. If you don't brush your teeth today, they're not gonna fall out tomorrow. If you don't brush your teeth for a couple of years, the next time you go to the dentist, you're going to have an extremely unpleasant experience. Well, cleaning your guns is the same way. Think of cleaning your guns regularly, kind of like flossing you really should be doing it it has benefits um and you know what is rust rust physically eats your guns i i I had a a gun that was in storage for a while hadn't touched it hadn't done anything with it and i found rust on the barrel uh after i took it out and realized that just sitting there it had started to rust so even guns you haven't done anything with in a while uh, can start to slowly get eaten by the environment so don't get lazy with maintenance. Getting lazy with maintenance is what leads to gear getting broken simply from the actions of the environment and from time. Um, it's something that, you know, there's nothing... Learn to enjoy it. Learn to enjoy cleaning and maintaining your weapons. I I do. You know, when it comes time to sharpen or, or clean a knife or or a shotgun or something like that, I, I always enjoyed that kind of a thing after I got the right attitude about it. You know, think of yourself as you're, you're staying prepared. It's exactly like... Uh, Maintaining a gun, cleaning and oiling and, and maintaining a gun or sharpening a machete or whatever, that's exactly like working out is for a human being. You know, you're just keeping it ready, you're keeping it in tip top shape. right number four this one i said i would get to this is when a tool is pre-broken and by that i mean just like that gun my father loaded and and discovered was broken uh, a tool can be broken through no fault of your own Um, a bad habit then attached to that would be not making sure that something works before you take it into the field what do i mean by that well i had a very personal experience with this once I was, uh, this was a a lot of years ago now, I was not doing well financially, I had this rattle trap of a broken down blue Honda. You know you've made a life decision, you've crossed a line when you buy the roll of duct tape that is the exact same color as the car. I had duct tape holding on the front fairing of that, that Honda. Uh, It was not a good car, and I was not doing well money-wise. I knew that I needed new tires, and I had an appointment on Monday to get those tires replaced. But I hadn't been able to afford getting that done until that time. I was helping somebody move, and I was making the last trip, you know, a drive of about uh, 45 minutes. I was making the last trip rolling up a hill in the dark in the countryside when my tire blew. And it didn't just blow, the tire ran out of tire, the, the the metal belts were, you could feel them coming through the tire, that's how bald that tire was. So I went to change the tire only to discover that the jack that came with my Rattletrap Honda didn't work, didn't work at all, didn't jack, I had a jack that didn't jack. And my donut was barely functional, you know, it, it seriously needed to be inflated. I had not bothered to check these things. I hadn't thought of them as an issue. I just, I didn't, uh, I was stupid. And I thought, well, it comes with a spare, it comes with a jack, why would I need to check that? So when it comes to survival gear, it's twice as important that you check and make sure that what you've just bought will work. We talked uh, you know, in a previous interview, Jeff uh, interviewed an expert who mentioned Chinese tourniquets that are on the market that simply will not get tight enough to stop blood flow. They just, they're not functional. Um, If you buy any piece of survival gear that doesn't work as advertised, if you get out into the field with that item, you could die. The thing you're relying on to save you could just not work. Less extreme than that, I once had a folding survival shovel that would not shove. I went to open it and use it, and anytime I tried to actually dig dirt with it, it folded back up on itself, no matter how I tried to tighten it. It was just a defective shovel. It was not functional. So do not, uh, field equipment that you haven't tested because you could end up with a pre-broken item that ends up failing you. And that's just as bad as breaking your gear in the field. So refusing to test before you field is a bad habit that you very much need to get yourself out of the habit of. And we all do it. We all, I know that, you know, you buy a car, the first thing, the most exciting thing with that car is not making sure the jack will actually lift the car up. But I'm telling you, if you buy a new car, get the jack out, hook it up, Put it in the designated slot on the frame. Look in your manual. You'll find it. Jack the car up and make sure it works because the time to find out that it doesn't work is not when you, like me, are by by the side of the road with a car that has a flat tire and you've got a toddler in a car seat and it's nine o'clock at night and it's pitch black. I was standing by the side of the road and I had time to think, what am I going to do? And just at that moment, a Jeep Cherokee pulled up behind me. And a couple people got out and they said, hey, do you need help? And I said, uh, and I explained to the situation. So that guy not only used his jack to jack my car up, he helped me change my tire. He actually cut himself on the steel belts, changing my tire. And then after we put that dodgy donut on, he followed me for as long as he could, for as long as our paths coincided, to make sure we were going to be okay. I eventually got where I needed to go. I spent the night at my destination. And then in the morning, I had a tow truck take my car over to where I got the, the tires finally replaced. But if not for those good Samaritans who helped me, I'm not sure what I would have done. I don't know if I would eventually thought to call a tow truck for myself, but the reason I didn't immediately call for a tow is because I had a toddler in a car seat, which complicates everything so that was a bad situation and it was all because i was unprepared Um, and there's a lot of layers of failure on my part there you know driving around on tires that are so bald you just drive the tire right off the car that's bad enough but, uh, you know, when you're, when you're young and poor, I can remember a time when I would look down on people driving cars that were obviously in poor shape. And then I went through a crushing period of near poverty myself. And I realized, oh, no, no, that guy driving around with the plastic bag over what used to be his window, he's not doing that because he wants to. He's doing that because he can't afford to fix it. And, man, I know what that's like. So nothing is more humbling. And to have somebody help you like that, I spent years after that stopping to help anybody I could because i just wanted to pay that back you know to pay back the the karma if you will of somebody stopping to help me when i desperately needed it because i want to believe we live in a world where people will help people in need it's just that it's just that cool all right uh, to review uh, number one of the bad habits that break your survival gear is uh, batoning or prying with knives gross abuse of any knife really Um, Number two is getting by with the wrong tool where you force a light duty tool to operate out of its weight class. Uh, You know, a great example of that is 127 Hours, that movie where the guy, um, it's the fictionalized account of Aaron Ralston's true story of where he got his arm trapped and he had to cut off his own arm to get out of where he was trapped so he wouldn't die of exposure because there was no one around. Um, He used what he described as a cheap multi-tool tool. The kind of thing that you get free with with a flashlight or something and i know just what he's talking about it was a cheap piece of garbage (laughs) about the time you're thinking about cutting off your own arm you probably hope you have the nicest multi-tool you can Uh, and and boy somehow he managed to make that work um but it's not a situation i would ever want to be in but if i had to cut off my own arm i'd want something that was appropriate to the task (laughs) So uh, number two, don't push your tools beyond their weight class. Number three is getting lazy with maintenance. Make sure that you don't let rust or any kind of chemicals or the buildup of dirt and debris interfere with any mechanism with moving parts, a gun, a folding knife, anything. And just rust. Anything made of metal will rust. Maintain your tools. Clean and maintain your tools. It's, It's the least they ask of you. Number four, uh, refusing to test gear before you field it, because as you just heard, you can put yourself in all kinds of terrible situations when that happens. And then finally, uh, number five, lending tools to stupid people. Don't do that. I know, it is very hard to say no to somebody who asks to borrow a tool. But you really have to exercise judgment because I would say one of the biggest ways a tool gets broken is when somebody who doesn't own it borrows it. I had a a machete that I loaned to a um, let's see, he wasn't my brother-in-law he was the brother of my sister-in-law. Does that make him my brother-in-law? I don't know. Anyway, I lent this guy a machete. He brought it back later bent like an L. I don't know how. I I'm not sure if the heat treat was off on that machete. I don't think it was. It had never given me any trouble. But somehow that guy managed to abuse that machete to the point that it was useless ever after. Um, you, we all know people who we lend tools to them and they do something stupid. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the tool that gets broken. I once lent a folding knife to a friend. This was years ago in college. He handed it back to me and then he walked away. And then later, when we couldn't find him, we followed him by tracking him using the blood trail from his hand because he had cut himself very badly with my pocket knife and not said anything, wandered off to find a Band-Aid or something, and we ended up tracking him down, you know, like like uh, sappers in a war, trailing, trailing after somebody we've wounded. So he was okay. He was very pale when we found him. But uh, yeah, just... Use your judgment when loaning your tools, because people who don't own your stuff, they don't treat it like you will. They won't treat it with the same respect. They didn't pay for it. They don't care. They don't know what it costs you. And and many times they don't know what they're doing, depending on who they are. So be sure when you loan a tool to someone that you have reasonable confidence that they're not going to do anything stupid. All right. Those are by far not the only five ways, not the only five bad habits that cause gear to break the survival gear that you rely on but they are, I would say, five of the big ones. Avoid them and think about other ways that you can sort of improve how you use, maintain, carry, and apply your survival gear so that you will have what you need when you need it. All right, I have been Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Until next time, prepare, train, and survive. Train, survive.